I was mentioning to the uh, male community gathering this morning, just a couple of articles I'd read about people undertaking or starting to dip into meditation practice, and it's it struck me just both the kind of honesty of it and uh, and the uh, challenges that both the meditation just to get started on it the challenges that it uh, brought up for a couple of people they weren't related were both writers uh, both women uh, you know what I'm saying is the she just felt she wanted to some way to get a little more sane <laughs> you know <laughs> this is not a great not looking for Nibbana, just basically a little more sane in a totally pressurized, stressed out world in a pandemic. That would be nice. Yeah, and she she did a bit of yoga, which she quite enjoyed, and she liked running. So something about getting into a body gave her some some way of getting out of this hyper uh, active mind state. Uh, as one of them, so she was saying, you know, the idea, like she's looking at these various apps you could you could look into to help you. One of them was giving you ten, 10 minutes of meditation. She thought ten minutes. This I cannot stand the idea. I did six hundred seconds with no stimulation. It's just impossible. <laughs> Brain's going to burn out. You know, 600 seconds of being unplugged is just, it's not possible. Uh, so she tried a number of things, and um, there's various music you listen to, and there wasn't enough. And uh, uh, ended up sitting in a hot bathtub, uh, sitting in a hot bathtub with this kind of soothing music playing. She could just about get handle the fact that she was breathing in and out but <laughs> she couldn't sit in a hot bathtub very long because it gets cool and so she went back to just saying well I think I could just run run just to get into my body a bit to get out of this craziness and that's as far as she got But you can see the uh, problem, hyperactive thinking mind, Uh, all the energy of her life has gone into that, and if you switch that off, it's just caving, it's chaos. And about the only thing that could remedy it was something physical, give her enough to hold on to. The other one was a little, little uh, uh, more rewarding in some ways. She, she again tried the ten-minute meditation, but she just, she could do it. They had this app whereby you switch it on and you get somebody speaking a very soothing voice, calm voice, talks you through ten minutes, and then you get a little cartoon figure appears on your your finds saying, "Oh, that's really great, wonderful. Keep going," you know. You have a bit of an emotional boost. (laughs) 
So it wasn't conceptual information that was helping, it was just some kind of emotional warmth. Both the soothing voice and this cartoon animated emoji jumping up and down and congratulating her just about kept her going. But she said it was really, he said the experience is like my brain started eating itself. <laughs> you know, she said, I don't recommend you do this. Maybe one minute, or perhaps not even one minute, because it feels like your brain starts eating itself after a minute. Maybe just an out-breath, start with that. <laughs> Ten minutes is much too long. And then you could maybe, you know, she did it for a year. And she said at the end of it, yeah, I was kind of a little more peaceful, a little more able to take break, a little more patient with myself. The most interesting main thing was you can't, you can't spend ten minutes with yourself every day for a year without finding yourself. She left it like that. That actually the other 23 hours, <laughs> 50 minutes, it's about getting away from yourself in some way or another. But maybe 10 minutes of reality a day is about as much as you actually designed to handle. <laughs> so she could do it. And clearly she felt something was a bit, you know. I mean, what are they talking about? You know? What are they talking about? And you get simple things like the overloaded conceptual mind, hyperactive, uh, running faster and faster and faster. And the result is that you can't, if you switch it off, it's just like going into chaos. You can't bear it because that's what's been holding you together. Uh, with plenty of somatic or bodily or emotional support, you could prop, you can just get some leverage on that and step back a bit. If you do, you find something. You call it yourself, maybe. I wouldn't call it that, but you find something that's of another level, of another reality, that's more intrinsic, more core, whatever this word self means. Mm. And so, if you're recognizing that you know, conceptual reality itself is very, um, you know, illusory. It's just numbers and sounds and ideas spinning around that got no substance to them because you, know, you can't find sanity in them, you can't find stability in them, you can't find ease in them then you realise you've got to be very careful about what kind of concepts and how you bring up in terms of describing any experience mm. without getting strung up in it. Mm. You know, this need to move out of the conceptual, touch into something, what's the difference? In one, you find yourself 
or you find something essential, something core, something that really is there for you. This is in, in Buddhist language you call this citta, heart, mind, awareness. Primary sense, something that's not conceptual. It's always there, but most of your energies are running away from it. And if you can handle those energies and steady them, you return to it. And something very grounding and real. And not just truthful, but has a certain substantial realism to it. If you're fuller, you've got, you've got, a, you've got a, uh, a place you can stand and view things. And I think we probably all agree upon that experience, whatever terms you use. And then you kind of review again, what, uh, what is the nature of the problem? We see this, uh, something's running out. What is it running out into? The mind. Well, with the mind, mind consciousness. Mm. And in that running out into the mind consciousness, you very much feel you are in that world. Even though that world of mind consciousness is so ephemeral, it doesn't stay solid for a second. And yet you feel you're in it. And this is mind consciousness. Now we could say there are other forms of consciousness. So we say visual consciousness, auditory consciousness. What do they mean? It means... You know, you, you see something when you look around. Oh, I'm sitting in a room. That's where I am. I'm in this. I walk outside. Oh, I'm in a field, or I'm in a street, or I'm in a wherever I am. The next room. That's where I am. I'm in something. I'm in a world of visual consciousness, with sights, objects. That. Yeah. But we notice also we might. Go out at dawn here, and you hear the birds. You can't see very much because it's quite dim. The trilling, oh yeah, birds. And where are you? You're in the realm of hearing consciousness. And these are probably the two major forms of consciousness we use. But recognize they're both distinctly different. The experience of hearing a bird sing completely different from seeing a bird. Completely different. It's got no shape to it. It's got no colour to it. It has impact. Other than that, completely different. Something is fusing the sound of the bird and the sight of the bird together to make them one thing, a singing bird. And that is called mind. Mind does that. It binds things together. Not intellectually. Power of mind interprets that sound, that sight equals bird, thrush, crow, whatever. That sight, that sound equals bird. Got it. 
And that's happening pretty much in, in an automatic way. And so when we live in that, and this is how the conceptual world arises out of stitching together these other forms of sense consciousness and gives us a sense of I am here in all this sights and sounds and birds and cars and and it goes on, I'm here on a date I'm here in March I'm in a place, it's 7 o'clock, it's 10 o'clock I'm here in this, it will be this it'll be 9 o'clock, it'll be Tuesday, it'll be Saturday I'm in that I'm in a world of time that's running on. I'm in that. Yeah. And in that, it's running on. And the sound of the bird is changing. And the sights are changing. Everything's running on. And the conceptual world runs on so fast. As fast. Yeah. Faster than the sound. Nothing moves so fast. Flashes. I mean that. And it's constantly spinning and running. And so, I go with it. I go with it. Because that's what's, that's what's there. Even though it's, I start running. So there's an emotional pull. You get into it. And of course, as you get more into it, it runs a bit faster. Because energy is going into it. Conceptual world starts spinning faster. Well, Tuesday, what I get done by Tuesday? Was it Tuesday the 15th? Was it 16th? I was supposed to have an appointment that day. What about when? What happened to Monday? What about that's going to figure that by then? It's running a bit faster. <laughs> you know? And if that one, you get into that just being held together by the speed of it, gives you a sense of being something in time. And if that one, that line of thought dies out, you can speculate on anything. Covid, in politics, football, conspiracy theories, whatever. You know, you've got plenty of, the mind can just come up with anything. And, and you can run out onto it. And that's what's so uh, powerful and alarming in some ways. Because you could think Santa Claus lives on Mars and going to come and give you a Christmas present tomorrow. And that's just as real as anything else in terms of the thoughts. And you could believe in it. And you could have a Santa Claus shrine and talk to Santa Claus every night and ask him for favours yeah, and imagine he's out there rooting for you and you can make him God and that's as real as anything and you're thinking hey I think this is called religion <laughs> that's a lot of people doing this they give Santa Claus different names <laughs> let's not get too, too personal about this but where are they? <laughs> where are they? Where is this Santa Claus? Oh, he's coming tomorrow. I'll meet him when I die. Okay, sure. 
just running out. And that running out into concepts, what happens? We get the, the need to feel solid in all that. It's a tremendous passion to have belief in Santa Claus. And with the passion comes a sense of people who don't believe in Santa Claus or think he wears a green hat rather than a red hat even. They're wrong. You get schisms. There's the green hat Santa Claus sect and the red hat Santa Claus sect. And the red hats and the green hats shun each other. One not going to hell. <laughs> and so it goes, you know. And the passion for certainty and conviction in the conceptual drives us on. And so we call religion, we call it football, we call it politics, we call it ideologies, we call it theories, we call it this. But it's the same stuff running out passion, running out, searching for certainty in the conception. And because conceptual doesn't last for more than a second before it dissolves, you've got to keep stoking it up again, shifting it to something else. Yeah, it goes on. Yeah, and you even get addicted to that movement of running on. Yeah. So eventually any old thing to think about will do. Even horrible things to think about. So it's like everything, you know, addiction is not a rational experience. And you can get addicted to conceptual experiences and to the need to conceive and have ideas and beliefs and convictions and so forth and be on the right side. It's going to make you secure and right and maybe give you a place in heaven or whatever your temple of righteousness is. And we look in history and people have killed each other. No problem over stuff like this. Absolutely no problem. Not ones and twos, but thousands, hundreds of thousands over this. This is not just a minor psychological <laughs> flaw. <laughs> and it has no substance to it. So, no matter how much passion you put into it, it doesn't stand up without the passion. So he said, let's just um, you know, realize in the conflict. Why don't we just review it? Not criticize it. Not substitute for anything else. Just review it dispassionately. How is this experience? It's insubstantial. It's changing. It's unsatisfactory. It doesn't provide that self 
wrapped you mentioned that sense of a simple core solid quiet place it's not built on passion stands for itself stands there when the passions cool down stands there when the conceiving mind quietens down stands there when the running out stops this is just consciousness mind consciousness doing its thing infused with passion And you have the power of it. It's an addiction. And it's an addiction that we are all extremely prone to. Because for many years in our lives we've been fed upon conceptual intelligence as being the number one. The thing that really makes you excellent as a human being. Study, learn, fill up, get a good why? Because then you get a good job. You get a good job means you can get your house, your mortgage, your whatever your partner, two kids, your dog, whatever, you're gonna get the kudos out of that. And this is what it's a good person, you've got plenty of this stuff going. And we've learned that. We've all bought into that. And I'm not dismissing the value of conceptual intelligence, but you where does it go? What's, what's the big reward of that? Good job. Right. <laughs> Supremacy in the race. Yeah, supremacy in, in the race that's not put like that but you get ahead by being smart and admired so there are certain emotional boosts in that and certain pragmatic needs to get a job to get fed to get the so-called comforts of life so you go for it but what you're finding as these two people found, they've done the thing, they've got all the smarts, they're working, they've got a job. They also realize they're going crazy. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, to get those things going, you've got to really pump up the juice to get to the head, to your mind, to get those good rewards and it's a competitive market so you've got to again the, the bar raises you know you've got to work a bit faster a bit harder but no worries because here's a gadget that will help you to to help you on the way great how do i get the gadget oh just pay us a thousand of these how do i get that work a bit harder you get one of these got gadget now you plug into that gadget show you how to go faster but of course you've got to download the 127 page manual to learn how to operate the thing and so you've got to be stressed out to do that, to figure out how to use the thing, but it will be worthwhile. Okay? And then you've got to get the apps, so you've got to, and you've got to figure out how they, but it will be worthwhile. 
Oh, and next year we've changed everything, so you've got to get a new one. <laughs> and load it all over again. <laughs> and everything's going up and up and faster and faster. See if we run a bit faster. Did you ever read Alice in, was it Alice in Wonderland, The Red Queen? There's this uh, lovely children's story. I think this guy was really, he knew a lot. The Looking Glass, where Alice, the, the heroine, this little girl, she appears in Looking Glass House, and all the characters in this house are chess pieces. And one of them is the, the Red Queen. And she's trying to, they're walking through a, a garden, which is actually a, a chessboard, which made into a garden, there's a house at the end of the, of the garden. So she says, oh, I get to the house. And she starts walking. She walks around and around in circles. The house is no nearer. So the queen, Red Queen says, we've got to run. They start running. They run and run and run and run. The house is still no nearer. And the Red Queen says, if you're, if you're even to stand on the same spot, you've got to run. Run faster and faster and faster. <laughs> and I think this is where we're at in this Red Queen state. Just to stay where you are to keep running. But the beauty of this Alice in the Looking Glass is eventually she gets so tired, just slumps down. And she's fine, she's on the doorstep of the house. <laughs> it's like, when you stop running, it comes to you. I thought, it's got a newer thing or two <laughs> about the human mind. <laughs> you know, our real home appears right there when you stop running after it hmm? so you start to review how these things operate and you sense the capacity to do that but like any addiction to breaking you have to have just something to pull against that and in reviewing this consciousness is you find there's another one there that you don't use so much as the sight and the hearing particularly nowadays and it's your body and we found the person who found doing some yoga and some running did give us some way of not getting completely drawn out in a thinking mind because unlike the other consciousnesses sight and sound and of course taste and, and smell body has an energy to it has its own energy not just mental energy the others have only got the energy that the mind puts into them right? so if you take something like visual consciousness visual objects how those objects arise in the visual field is your mind gets interest in a particular point his energy runs towards that which is bright or colourful or somewhere attractive or of course terrifying so it's got some juice in it some passion in it you mind energy and that stands out yeah. so your mind puts energy into the visual field and creates objects now if you just go to the opposite go from simple objects to the sense of the whole visual field it takes a little bit of doing because your mind wants to focus on a particular thing you say no just get the whole thing 
not going to go blind, just witness the whole thing altogether. What happens? You come out of that, you're not in the visual consciousness, you're with it. And you can see that pulling or experience that pulling. At the same time, you can maintain that awareness. This is visual consciousness. This is the field of visual consciousness like this. I'd recommend people begin meditation. Don't close your eyes. Use, since we have this experience of being in consciousness, use it. Use it with dispassion. Just be the seeing. Wide focus. Don't get caught in objects. Seeing is like this. And then from the sense of the visual, what is it that is experiencing the visual? It'll take you back to yourself, your chitta. That's happening there. I am here witnessing that. And you stay with that. And from that alone, you're beginning to be able to experience consciousness without the passion rushing out into it, or the fighting, or the aversion, or the comparing, or the contrasting. And you can do the same with hearing. Now, when you come into your body, experience the entire body, the same way, you know, you can feel your knees, or your hands, or your feet, your chest. Let's go to the whole thing. What happens? You're experiencing a certain knowingness and instead of the particular discrete sensations which are rather like the discrete visual objects you know, separate visual objects, you can have separate tactile objects. But interestingly enough, when you go to the whole thing, relax on the tactile, you experience not just the sense of knowing it, aware of it, you also experience the body energy, a certain vitality. And then you can incline to that and it helps to hold your mind back. Not averse, but it's like you've got a counterbalance to that careening into ideas and thoughts and concepts. You've got a counterbalance. And that holding that, staying with that, you're aware of it, you're knowing it, it's steadying and the steadying it was kind of pleasant in a calming way and this is basically this is what we call samadhi or movement the inclination towards samadhi it's not focusing on a discrete object I think this is something to really remember because when we talk about concentration most of us will assume use that word it's rather like what you do with your eyes when you concentrate. You find a discrete object and you focus on it. And there's no, nothing, at least in Buddhism, 
concentration is never described as that. Never described in terms of focusing on a point at all is described as the process of settling down, settling back into where the body energy and the mind energy or the heart energy meet and come together. That's quite different, particularly the approach, strikingly different. Because with this approach, instead of holding on to an object, going out to it, which object is the right one, yeah, and forming different schools, and going back to green hats and red hats, <laughs> and who's best, we drop all that, and we just find where does this sense of knowing, this jitta, which has got a certain vibrancy to it, and these energies in the body, which are maybe tangling, but if I follow the breathing, they begin to settle. Where do they blend? How do they blend? How do they meet each other? And of course, this is not a conceptual experience, because both those are non-conceptual experiences. So you can't, you can't figure it. I mean, you get some advice, but the uh, beauty of it is, there's such a thing as non-conceptual intelligence, which by and large we have ignored. We have gone into the conceptual as being the one and only thing, which is a very handy piece of equipment, but if you follow that alone, I reckon you're going to go into hyperactive mental states, and as these two people found out, overload, insecurity, anxiety, and collapse where you're desperately searching for solace and sanity to find yourself that's where it goes if it's not checked now non-conceptual intelligence is different you know, see normally conceptual you say oh that means that two of those equals four two bananas and two bananas equals four bananas yeah. So we get, we come up with another idea. A bird is a creature with wings. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, conceptually, that makes complete sense. But um, the sound of a bird is not that. The sight of a bird is not that experience, is it? The sight of a creature rising up, flying out. It's not that it's not that well it's the feeling. You feel something shift and move and rush under that moment of recognition. And then you can derive a concept from it. And all conceptual is immediate and direct. And if you want the simplest example is the most obvious form of non-conceptual intelligence is your body. How do you know how to walk? Takes a while. When you're a toddler, get up and fall over. Get up and fall over. 
eventually something starts to learn how to balance and you can't figure it out in your head. Something knows how to do it. We take it for granted. But if you're in a ship that's moving, it needs to be aware. If you're walking in the dark in a forest at night, you need to have that sense of body awareness. And it will do it for you. Practice with it. Sometimes I teach Qigong, and it's a way of really, you know, one of the things it does, it begins to indicate that. You can practice finding different forms of balancing, and you can stand on one leg, move the other leg, and generally the way you increase your intelligence is you challenge it. Stand on one leg, okay, lift the other leg, now move the other leg, and gradually build in other kinds of movements that are random that mean the body has to get more and more savvy about how to hold balance within chaos. And it will do it. You, know, you fall over a few times, but it will do it. It is smart. And how to find balance within chaos is something that conceptually <laughs> is very difficult to do. Because of the nature of conceptual reality, it's got no gravity to it. It's just gossamer, it's not even that. The other form of non-conceptual reality experience intelligence is heart, of course. We know we feel warmed, we know we feel enthusiastic. You don't have to decide, now I will feel enthusiastic, this means uh, smile, uh, straighten up, listen up. You either feel it or you don't. You see a dog whining and struggling, you either you get a flush of compassion. If you really see it with your heart. Yeah? You don't have to think, don't have to figure it out. It's emotional intelligence. Loving kindness, very fundamental emotional intelligence, the fundamental emotional intelligence, you might say the bedrock, the fundamental thing that allowed us to get together as human beings to survive. We got some sense of, hey, you and me, let's get together, be friendly, and then we can work it out. Of course, yeah. That was the ticket. And once you got that, then he said, hey, yeah, because we 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 have sensitivity, which is better, better make sure we really behave in a way that's suitable. We start to get morality around this might offend you or hurt you, or this is not a kind thing to do. The morality comes out of that, and you get that, and that gives you a sense of real orientation and strength. And you can, and, you don't, and if you start to just create ideas, when you get laws and rules, but that's not quite the same an ethical sensitivity, which is this sense of shunning and shivering. No, no, that's not good, I don't like that. No, I'm repelled by abuse, I feel distaste at it. There's the emotion, it's called Hiriotipa, guardian of the world. Something you shrinks back from abuse, feels ashamed at careless actions. And it's right there. And of course, 
you know, this should be the thing that keeps this whole human thing going, right? Because we have those two, kindness and morality, for sure, we can share. We don't need to compete. We don't need to be supreme. It's irrelevant. It's a waste of time. It's pointless. It's not even a, it's not even a factor. There's no race. Let's just share. Be kind to each other. Help out, you know. And realize with that, what is it that makes me the challenges morality? Greed. <laughs> Aversion. Passion. Selfishness. And you start to sense those energies. Not conceptually very justifiable. We don't call them greed, we call them um, product success. <laughs> You know, there's ways you can reinterpret these things. <laughs> a version we can call uh, justice, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, there's even ways of that. But you feel that greed, that that running out, grabbing. No, I don't like that. Doesn't feel good. Aversion, sinking, souring, prickling. Don't like it. And so you deal with these things non-conceptually. You don't need justifications. You don't need tribunals. You don't need blaming. You don't need critiques. You just feel distinctly moved away from it. But of course, if you don't, <laughs> and there, there's an immense healing medicine for oneself and for the pop world in general. And if you extend that to include other creatures there's the end of 53 billion animals dying every year being killed being intensively farmed so we can eat their bodies that's the end of dredging the oceans till we've wiped out 90% of the fish and still want more if you could extend it wouldn't that be smart, huh? Maybe. But something doesn't. Something sits on top of that. It's called ignorance. And the conceptual world rides over that. So much so that our mind blinds our heart. And the mind thinking mind supreme dumbs down the heart which would make us safe non-violent comfortable, generous so we need to really handle that and this is no longer just a sort of interesting meditation or chilling out this is a complete reset Yeah, bringing in these non-conceptual intelligences to break through the clouds of illusion. This is what the Buddha was pointing to. Now, there's plenty of things that are non-conceptual that are not so good. Hatred is non-conceptual. Right? Greed is non-conceptual. It's a powerful energy. 
But when we cultivate this uh, sense of samadhi, it gives us the strength to feel those energies and just, no, hold back. The more you do that, you find that you can witness those energies arise and pass and begin to look into the illusions that they're based upon. This is what we call insight. Illusions of I am in this. I am in a virtual reality of success and failure and all these mental concepts. And then you begin to really get a reality and a truthfulness that's not based upon opinions and views, but based upon direct felt experience. This is, of course, in my opinion, the genius of the Buddha is saying, all you're trying to do is just stop suffering. rest of it follows through. All the ideas, all the realizations follow through on that simple principle, knowing what draws you into this suffering, into stress, into meaninglessness, into isolation, into loneliness, into anxiety, into overwhelm, and finding the way to stop doing it. We get addicted to it. And so there's power to, to, to restrain. And these are not just ideas, because these non-conceptual intelligences, unlike the conceptual, are not just gestures in the wind. They have an energy to them. Body energy steadies. Heart energy brightens. These are not just that world of gestures, of thought. This is a very tangible Reality that you can sit in, walk in, move around in, and enjoy. <laughs> it's called the, the real world. <laughs> begins here. I think it, to me it's very, yeah, I find it's helpful to keep reframing. You know, every form of concept, every dumber talk is going to have its good points and its missing points just because concepts don't do it. So you just keep reframing and turning it around. And what I like to really affirm is there is something quite substantial about this. This is not just an idea. This is something you can walk around in. It's something you can speak from. It's not like the void. (laughs) You know, we can disappear into the void. Which, you know, maybe. But uh, a lot of the time we're not disappearing in the void, it seems to me. And so we're walking around, we're talking, we're doing ordinary daily life stuff. And how does it relate to meditation? Because 
when we're entering into this domain, it's called the fine material domain. Gross material, which is just physical objects, you've got the immaterial, and you've got the fine material. This is the fine material energetic domain. When you enter into, into that, you've got something that will catch your impulses as they arise and moderate them by itself. Uncultivated, those impulses just rise up, bam. They either fly out of your mouth or out, you know, into your, into your action, or you censor them. Yeah, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Or you're constantly trying to figure which is the right one, which is the wrong one. Once you develop this, the, the fine material, non-conceptual intelligence, a lot of impulses don't even arise in the first place because you are pretty satisfied. You feel pretty comfortable. You, know? you are pretty centered. You don't need a lot of stuff to hold you together. You don't need to know all kinds of things to, to get orientation. You've got something you can orient around that is not just about a piece of geography or a statistic or a number or a identity or a time or a day. You've got something hey, this is the real thing. So a lot of stuff that you might constantly be searching for, who am I, what am I supposed to be, you know, what do people think of me, am I doing the right thing, that kind of settles down. Because you're not seeking security in that. You're not seeking security in the future, or in other people's opinions, or even your own opinions, because you know there isn't there anyway. <laughs> Otherwise you'd have got it by now. So you find a sense of security just be being present because that's the only thing that is secure. Check it out. Yeah. So a lot of stuff doesn't even really happen, or if it happens, it happens in a kind of minor way. But then we still have to act, don't we? So that how does that action come up? And is it imbued with a sense of to others as to myself? Is imbued with a sense of, yeah, this is clarity, this is steadiness, yeah, this is purposefulness. Mm. Sense of what is serviceable, what's appropriate action, not just restless, jittering or filling in the time, what is useful, purposeful action. And then that can be held carefully. And you can, so you can practice like that. And you can turn the whole thing around. You can say, forget meditation altogether. Just take that word off, take the concentration, get that word out of here. What I want to learn to do is to be able to walk from here to the kitchen, just being aware of my legs as I walk there, since they're going to take me there, right? I'm going to walk from here to the kitchen. It's going to take, you know, I can shave a few seconds off it. But the only exercise is to be aware of every footstep as I walk, because they're all important, just to be with that. If I'm going to walk from here to the kitchen, I'm going to walk from here to the kitchen every step of the way. As long as I'm aware of my feet and my legs as I walk, what happens in my brain doesn't matter. Just be that. And you do that and you find... 
because every footstep is necessary. And why don't you do it beautifully, carefully, fully, clearly, balanced way. And you find you do that, all your brain stuff just starts to... You've got some anchorage. And so we do walking, meditation. Call it meditation then. Um, I guess you could do running. <laughs> as this lady found. But it's just using a non-conceptual, palpable, realizable, not remote, not matter of opinion, not belief, the actual non-conceptual intelligence, using it, steadying it, purifying it, using that as a balance. And then what kind of thoughts does that support? What kind of programs does that support? If you stay in that, it supports what's useful, what's purposeful, what's beautiful, what's healing, what's helpful. Then focus, steady, settle into that, absorb into that, those qualities of heart, absorb into that, your fear dissolves, your anxiety dissolves, your depression lifts, your distractedness begins to soothe. And this is, we call this, you know, samadhi. And you can live it. And realize within that you don't need to create an idea of who you are or what you're supposed to be, or whether you're attained or non-attained, or half-attained, or will be attained, or whether you're sotapanna, whether you're suffering some self-view, whether you've got aspects of resting, you don't need to do this stuff. And it's clearing and emptying of the unnecessary. There's lightness available for us in our lives. There's immediacy available for us. There's something rich and fulfilling available for us. Mm. So necessary. So when we have this occasion, uh, and learning, and in a way it's uh, kind of simple, but to move away from that, those habits and those powers, those pushes, those addictive pushes, needs training. You train and train and train carefully, simply, purposefully. This is our skill, this is our action. And this is the possibility we have. This is the free choice we can make. And if we have this free choice that we can make for our welfare, for the welfare of others, surely it's up to us to resolve, put our hearts and minds and energies 
courage and companionship into fulfilling it. So, let's encourage some cultivation for whatever you can make out of this. A few fragments that stay with your mind, you don't need that much. And uh, let's continue to cultivate using this situation, this formal practice time to encourage us to resolve and fulfill the uh, realizations. <laughs>